Hello everyone and welcome to episode 124 of the History Hotline. My name is Diana Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. Now today's episode is all about a quite tragic incident actually that happened in August 1970 and it's known as the Christina ship crash. Now the MV Christina was a 160 foot government owned and operated ferry boat which worked in the Caribbean, specifically um, between the islands of St. Kitts and Nevis. Now, up until about last week, I had absolutely no idea this had even happened. Um, And the reason I do know is, well, if you've listened to last week's episode where I spoke about the uh, course I was on, the Young Archivists um, course, the leader, Paulette Brooks, actually brought up this event in a sense of, well, nobody knows about it. And why do nobody know? Why does no one know about it when so many people unfortunately passed away um, around, well, 53 years ago? Um, and I thought, why? Well, right, I've got to do some more research then and find out what happened. Um, and here is me telling you this story. So shout out to Paulette, because uh, I wouldn't know this story without her. But also, I think it speaks to the way we remember uh, past events. And Okay, we don't live in St Kitts or Nevis, and I'm sure the memory of it there is completely different um, to how we see it now. And obviously, I'm positioning it as a hidden history, something that we don't know. But at this time, St Kitts and Nevis um, are a British colony. They're a British colony, I think, until 1983. So this is something that's technically happening within British history. Um, And yeah, it's quite interesting that we have little knowledge about it, um, especially when there were so many tragedies. And especially, (laughs) I don't want to bring up any submarines of the past, but the way we remember and the way we thought about and the concern that was attached to that submarine um, with much, much fewer people on it is, um, I think, quite quite interesting and eye-opening with how we think then about the Christina ship crash. August 1970. So again, shout out to Paulette uh, for alerting me to this history. Um, I have, I'm not going to say I've enjoyed doing the research on it, but it has been quite interesting. Um, and it just blows my mind all the things in life that you just don't know. Um, all the like historical things that I'll probably never know. Um, all the books in life that I'll never finish reading or never get to read, there's just so much, you know, um, so don't beat yourself up for not knowing everything, like, we're only human, and there's only 24 hours in the day, but I guess that's what this podcast is for, to tell you the things that you don't necessarily have the time to research yourself. Anyway, the Christina, the MV Christina, as I said, was a government-owned, and who owns, um, think it's a Nevis at this time, the British, so it's technically British-owned, um, this ferry boat, It was built in the late 1950s um, in British Guyana, which was then British Guyana, which is now present-day Guyana. Um, And actually, just before it sank, plot twist, um, it was refurbished in Barbados, in Bridgetown, Barbados, two months prior, so in about June uh, 1970. It was constructed by an appropriation of around 132,000 thousand five hundred i think us dollars uh from the british government and it was operated by the st kitts and nevis ministry of communications work and transport um on the day 
of um, well, August the 1st, 1970, which is actually the weekend of Emancipation Day, which is celebrated, I think, in probably all the like Anglophone Caribbean uh, countries and islands, I'm assuming, because it marks the end of uh, enslavement. And even though there was a period of apprenticeship afterwards, um, it's, it tends to be a public holiday. I know that's the case in Jamaica and obviously the case here in St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, and the ferry boat was taking people uh, between St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, the ferry boat was severely overloaded and there were several um, safety procedures that were very lax on that day. Um, the Christina ferry left port with the ballast tanks empty, um, which apparently had become standard procedure because it meant that you could ride higher in the water, which would stop the waves coming into the decks, um, but also compromises the uh, stability of the ferry um, and, in this instance, uh, proved to be quite fatal. Um, The ship had 320 people, or it's believed so to have had about 320 people on board. Um, However, the ship was only supposed to carry around 150 people. Um, that was the maximum passenger capacity, I think 155. Now, there's a few publications on um, this disaster, normally from the perspective of people that were unfortunately on the ship that day. Um, and one of those people is Oswald Tyson, who published um, Ozzy's Odyssey, My Life Before and After the MV Christina Went Down in 2011. And it was... Um, published by the author and the Nevis Historical and Conservation Society, which is good and helpful that, you know, this kind of story and this history is being preserved. Um, Oswald Tyson survived the disaster and then published an autobiography in 2011. And he said, and I quote, a two decker partly enclosed craft was in, she was in poor repair and she always took on water in the lower level. If I had worn shoes, the water would have ruined them as it came up to my ankles. Another source I used to inform my research this week was an article by Carla Berridge, which was published on August 1st, 2021, which would have been 50 years to the day, 51 years to the day, my apologies. Um, and it's titled Remembering the Christina Disaster, Dulcita's Story. Um, and she really centres the story of Dulcita, um, who was one of the people that were on the ship and survived. Um, and I think the very sad but the beautiful thing about this is Um, you get this perspective 51 years later about the way this tragedy is remembered. Um, And we think about the people in that region in St. Kitts and Nevis that are actually still very much living with the consequences of the tragedy um, and the loss um, and the fact that they have relatives, um, friends, people in their communities that are no longer with us, um, lost at sea. Um, and we'll get into the crash and, and what happened with that um, shortly. So the ship, the ferry boat, set sail um, that day carrying or should have been around 150 passengers. Although some sources have said up to 180 could have been carried on there. Either way, not 300. There were over 300 people on it. Um, and they were being taken to a uh, festival, like a emancipation holiday celebration uh, in Nevis from St. Kitts. Um, and it sank in an area of the sea known as the Narrows, which is a thin strait between the islands, um, St. Kitts and Nevis. 
um, because a, f- a captain failed to close the vessel's watertight doors. Uh, apparently, allegedly, um, there had been repairs that were being done on the propeller shaft, which is below the decks. Um, and the people that were doing those repairs, the workmen, the maintenance crew, um, had assumed that the captain would make final checks before departing St. Kitts for Nevis. Um, these checks obviously were not done. Um, and so it started to set sail. And as it left the port, not long after, it started to capsize. Um, the captain decided to turn the vessel really sharply towards the shore in a, an attempt um, to run it aground so that, you know, if it started sinking, they would be closer to land um, and to get it kind of to the land. But it was a super top heavy boat because it was overcrowded um, and it was really bulky and it capsized very quickly. Um, there were obviously people around quite locally that were fishermen and had fisher boats and smaller um, vessels, you know, used for probably um little small excursions uh, for fewer people and they came to the rescue uh, thankfully because I think the ship was a little bit closer to land than it might have been if the captain hadn't tried to moor it away. Um, However only 91 passengers uh, and crew members survived and remember I said around over 300 people were on that ship and only 91 of them um, survived. Only 91 of them are there to tell their story and the way that is remembered today is well it's a protected marine memorial park and sanctuary um and it is it does bring a lot of um divers that conduct um well there are divers within St Kitts and Nevis that conduct a yearly memorial to honor those that were lost um in the shipwreck in the ferry boat crash um but there also are people I assume with natural curiosity question mark um that go and try and dive down to the shipwreck the ship was never recovered um and neither were a lot of the people that perished um their bodies are unfortunately or have been laid to rest or not laid to rest in the kind of ceremonial usual way but but remain in the sea after the ferry boat sank 54 bodies were retrieved and identified 66 bodies were retrieved but were unidentifiable and a number of bodies were trapped inside the sunken wreckage and these bodies were left in place. A decision was made that the entrapped bodies would be undisturbed um, and that would be their final rest in place. Um, And there was a lot of, I think, thought and and work that went into that, in that decision um, to have that as their rest in place and that shipwreck be a memorial And there is also um, a memorial on land, um, which is located on the waterfront in Charlestown, which is the capital of Nevis. Um, And the memorial inscription reads, in loving memory of all those who lost their lives in the Christina disaster of August 1st, 1970. Rest in peace. Um, And there is also a memorial headstone in the cemetery in the village of Bath in Nevis. As I said, the memory of this um, tragedy loomed quite large uh, in St Kitts and Nevis Um, and I wanted to speak a little bit about um, Dulcita David's story uh, that I mentioned was one of the articles that I had used um, for the research for this uh, podcast episode. Now the story of Dulcita David um, is a very tragic one Um, and she was on the ship that day with her children, some of her children. Now Dulcita survived um, and 
she passed away um, in 2017, so a lot later on. Um, and the interview that was conducted um, kind of in honour of, of Dulcita's story was with her daughter, Joan, uh, Joan, who was formerly Joan David, now Joan Spencer, um, who at the time of the um, crash was about 13 years old. Um, Joan's mother, Dulcita, being one of the 91 people that survived, um, however, her siblings um, were never to be seen again and they did not survive um, that crash. Um, Joan recalls that it was a holiday weekend and a lot of people were leaving St Kitts to travel to Nevis um, and she was also actually supposed to be on that ship um, and go to Nevis with her mother and some of her siblings. However, she recounts that, quote-unquote, rudeness saved her life that day um, because when the bus came to take them to the pier to board the ferry, um, she hid. Um, she didn't want to go. So everyone was in a hurry and they continued. They didn't bother to look for her. Um, and she was just sat outside chilling with her friends and some of her other siblings um, around five o'clock that evening because she hadn't gone to Nevis. Um, and her aunt, Cynthia, came and told her that the ship had sank and her mother, brothers and sisters had all drowned. That was an, the way the news was relayed um, to Joan. Um, her aunt had said, you know, we've heard it over the radio, the Christina sank and everybody's drowned. Um, and, you know, that that was the news. That was the way it was reported. Um, and I quote, this from the article um, of the kind of aftermath. She said, there was a lot of crying and people from all over the place started to come by us. The whole village of Keys was at our house. The whole village slept at our house Saturday night. All Sunday morning, people were just sitting by the radio listening. We didn't know what was happening. All we knew was that Mama was on that boat. Her older sister, Valerie, and her older brother, Redhead, went down to the town that Saturday night to find out what they could but learnt nothing. The Sunday morning, they started to bring in the dead bodies. While we were listening to the radio, we heard them call Mama's name as a survivor. Joan said, while they were happy and relieved to learn that their mother was alive, they were all heartbroken to learn that her five siblings weren't as lucky. Older family members went to Bassetere, hoping, at the very least, to recover the bodies of the five children. They were never found. That Monday night, Dulcita David returned home alone. It was a frightening moment. We kept wondering if anyone had found one of the children. Joan recalls that she, you know, would never forget that day. She would never forget that moment. Um, and she specifically refers to this moment of where they decide to stop searching uh, for bodies in the shipwreck. And I mentioned earlier that a lot of them were entrapped um, and that's how they have been, been left and laid to rest. Um, however... There was obviously um, issues with that, you know, like these people's bodies could have been recovered um, in the earliest instances. Um, and Joan in this article says that she goes to Basseterre the Tuesday morning, uh, so a few days after, still hoping to find a sibling, um, even if it was just her body. Um, and she said, and I quote, I was walking over their bodies to see if I could find my little brothers and sisters and I never saw not one of them. Um, apparently as is described in the article. Um, the Premier at the time, Robert Bradshaw, was at the pier and he made the call and raised his hands and said, stop the search. Joan mentions that she never forgot that moment because they stopped the search because they'd found the captain of the boat. 
um, from the time the boat came in, he told them not to search anymore. Um, and she says that's how they forgot about, you know, people like her little brothers and sisters who was out there. They found the captain and stopped the search. And I think that speaks a lot to power structures um, and whose life has value and whose life is 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 worthy. And not to say they were going to find anyone alive at that point. They'd been underwater for days. But just to recover those bodies so those grieving families could have had that moment to actually uh, lay their loved ones to rest and to kind of honour their memory in, in other ways. Um, and just to have that kind of closure in, in finding a body and, and seeing that. The saddest thing I think I read about the story um, came from Oswald Tyson's story where he talks about the fact that there were numerous people injured in the water when the ferry boat sank. And he says, and I quote, the blood attracted the sharks. They had never bothered anyone before that I had heard of. But on this day, the sharks came like monkeys to a mango tree. And I just can't imagine what that would have been like for people to have to bear witness to um, and to see that. And, you know, I mentioned that a lot of the bodies were unidentifiable. Um, and that would have been why, uh, because of, yeah, the way, the strength of the water, um, the sharks um, and, and things of that nature. I wanted to read a little bit more of Dulcita's story and just tell you kind of her from her accounts, which were uh, recorded. She really um, did, I think, an important job of, of speaking about the tragedy that took the lives of her five children uh, in the years that followed um, the tragedy. And um, she talks about the fact that the boat, um, not too long after um, it had left the docks, it, it started to fill up with water. And the captain ran downstairs and said, send to the boat, send to the boat. And I'm not sure what send to the boat means, but I think maybe kind of stay balanced or, or stay in the middle to, to keep it balanced. Um, but the water kept coming in and the captain was shouting, don't move, stay where you are, send to the boat. Um, and as he left to go back downstairs to the engine room, water rushed in and, and started to cause cap it to capsize. Um, Dulcita found herself unable to kind of balance and was struggling. Um, and she climbed back up on the Christina. Um, but while she was climbing up, she said a man was on top of her pulling her. So she used her foot to push him off her. Um, and she soon realised that everyone was climbing on her. And so she jumped off and dived beneath the water. And when she came up, she was swimming and saw a bag that had three breadfruits, which she held on to as flotations. Um, and while she was swimming, she saw a lady and the lady told her they were going to die. Um, and I'm quoting this from the article, um, which has obviously been kind of a paraphrasing of Dulcita's words. Um, this lady could not swim. She was floating on her back. Dulcita offered her part of the bag with the breadfruit to hold on to while they were there a boat passed then another one passed and the man on board looked at them and said you're doing good keep going we'll come back for you we're going to see who else is back here to help from the moment the boat left that lady gave up hope and let go Dulcita saw that lady again um, but not until Sunday after at a hospital and it turns out she didn't die as you can imagine Dulcita never really recovered from that tragedy and losing five children her children, Mavis David, age nine, um, Christina David, age eight, Joseph David, age seven, Carl David, age three, and Verna David, age two, all passed away um, and their bodies were never recovered. 
Um, Dulcita gave testimony actually in court in, as part of um, the kind of investigation into what had happened. And the story really, really gets to me at this point because she was kind of hounded in the courtroom, um, suggesting that she killed their church her children not in the sense of them actually accusing her but you know them the way that she was questioned um the way that she was spoken to as if she was supposed to um you know feel responsibility for what had happened even though it was the negligence of the company and the captain um for the ship breaking down and um capsizing um you know that that family is is one example of a family that was absolutely torn apart by this tragedy um and as i said they weren't the only family uh there would have been some people that would have been able to bury loved ones there would have been some people who may or may not um have felt like their family members uh, body parts or bodies would have been recovered and others that may have accepted the fact that their loved ones were were entrapped and encapsulated in the ship's wreck in the sea um the ship's wrecks is still there it's it's as i said there's been a decision made for it to stay there um, and to remain at the bottom of the sea as a, as a kind of final resting place for those people. The Christina is a protective marine memorial park and sanctuary um, that, of course, demands, commands dignity and respect um, to those that were lost in the disaster. Um, and it is, of course, something that the people of St Kitts and Nevis remember within some of their lifetimes and in the kind of public memory and because it coincides with a day like Emancipation Day, which is obviously already a day uh, with so much memory of suffering and pain of the formerly enslaved people and populations um, that take place in all the kind of colonies in the Caribbean that were colonised by the British, that is a, a day of remembrance for them already. And so to add this tragedy where, you know, these people end up at the bottom of the sea in a similar way that those enslaved people that maybe didn't make it to the the next part of their journey um through the middle passages would have also ended up and there is just something so tragic about that but that's all i have time for today um there is so much more you can read about the story of the christina um there are numerous articles and also some of the publications i mentioned like the book by oswald tyson uh that speak about this because it is something that is very very visceral and real in uh public kind of memory in St Kitts and Nevis so if you did want to know more uh, please do seek out those sources uh, to find out more remember this podcast is only ever a starting point into any historical event narrative moment person group or organization so thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week goodbye <laughs>